everyone. <clears throat> Welcome to SVC. Let's stand together. Good morning to everyone tuning in on Facebook and YouTube. Pleasure to have you with us today. Let's worship our awesome God together and let's stand. Let's invite God to rule. Here we go. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil while we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. We need your power in us. And let's seek his kingdom first. We seek your kingdom first. We hunger and we thirst. Refuse to waste our lives. For you're our joy and pride. To see the captive hearts released. The hurt, the sick, the poor at peace. We lay down our lives for heaven's cause. We are your church. We pray revive this earth. Build your kingdom, Lord. Build your kingdom here. Let the darkness Show your mighty hand, heal our streets and land, set your church on fire, win this nation back, change the atmosphere, build your kingdom here, we pray. Unleash, unleash your kingdom's power, reaching the near and far. No force of hell can stop our beauty-changing hearts. You made us for much more than this. Awake the kingdom seed in us. Fill us with the strength and love of Christ. We are your church we pray revive this earth Lord build your kingdom right here build your kingdom here let the darkness fear show your mighty hand heal our streets and land set your church on fire Win this nation back. Change the atmosphere. Build your kingdom here. We pray. One more time. Build it. Build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. Show your mighty hand. Heal our streets. And land, set your church on fire. Win this nation back. 
takes the atmosphere, builds your kingdom here, we pray. Put our hands together, church. John 17, Jesus prayed for our unity as believers. Let's ask him once again to make us one. Here we go. One with the Father, one with the Spirit, one with the Son of God. One with our sister, one with our brother, one family by the blood. Make us one. Make us one. Make us one. Your will be done. Make us one. One heart. One heart with heaven, one mind connected, one body unified. Bind us together, now and forever, Jesus be glorified. Make us one, make us one, your will be again, make us one, make us one, make us one, your will, your will be done, make us one, and our hope, our hope is you, show us your way. Our hope, our hope is you. Show us your ways, Lord. Show us your ways. Guide us. Guide us in truth. All of our days. Our hope is you. Once again, our hope. Our hope is you. That's right. Make us one. Make us one. Your will. Your will be done. Make us one. Make us Make us one. Make us one. Let your kingdom, let your kingdom come. Make us one. 
Welcome to Solana Valley Church. I am not a perfect pastor. This is not a perfect church, but we serve a perfect Savior. All right? Y'all can have a seat. Hey, I get to lead us in prayer. By the way, uh, real quick, uh, just want to say, those of you on Facebook, uh, YouTube, doggone it, how do I do this? It's, I've got glasses on. I've got everything else on. By the way, so just so you know, okay, uh, tested negative for covid so I'm not wearing my mask because I have COVID, but because I still am just coughing a little bit, just doing it out of trying to be polite. And for anybody who might have a concern, um, for anybody who might have a concern, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, um, just trying to avoid uh, concerning anyone. So anyway, today I just want to lead us in a time, a special time of prayer. Uh, you know, in our world, there's a lot of chaos in there. Isn't there a lot of chaos? I mean, we see this war that's happening between Russia and the Ukraine. Uh, we see just a lot of in, animosity and fear and anxiety about the whole Roe v. Wade thing. Uh, there are race concerns. Yesterday, uh, a shooting up in Buffalo that ended in with the deaths of 10 different people. And, you know, the thing is, this is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Uh, and also, I think this last week or the week before, we surpassed a million people who have now died from COVID. And the thing that happens with all of this is sometimes our, our minds can almost become numb to suffering. Because the truth is, is that it's very easy to kind of dismiss that a million people have died unless there's one person who died. And that one person is very, very dear to you. And there is a lot of turmoil in our world. And there is a lot of reason for us as Christians to be concerned. But one of the things the Bible says is this. It says, do not be uh, overwhelmed by evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so that's what we're going to do. Okay? That's what we're going to do. We're going to overcome evil with good. And we're going to pray. And before I lead us in prayer, I just want to read with you this last week just a couple of reflections from uh, my journal and my time of prayer. But I was just writing, and I just said, What's needed in our nation today, more than political reform and a changing of our laws, is spiritual revival and a changing of our hearts. Are you with me here? You can change laws and not change hearts. You can have, um, the, the, what is needed in our nation today is not just a changing of laws or changing of political agendas. What is needed is spiritual revival and a changing of our hearts. Only the gospel, let me say this again, only the gospel, only the gospel has the power to save. Only the gospel has the power to save. There is no other hope that only the gospel has the power to save. Only the gospel has the power to reshape our hearts, to reshape my heart, to reshape your heart. Um, the hope of America is not in the advancement of political agendas. It is the advancement of the gospel. Okay? It is the advancement 
of the gospel. The advancement of the gospel in the hearts and minds of people. That for us, revival is about seeing an advancement of the gospel. And, and what the Bible tells us is revival begins with a spirit of humility. Where there is any kind of pride, there will be no revival. The revival begins with a spirit of humility and a repentant heart. The Bible says this. The Lord God says this in, in Isaiah 57, verse 15. He says, for this is what the high and exalted one says. Our God is the high and exalted one. There is no kingdom. There is no nation more powerful than our God. There is no individual more rich or wealthy than our God. Our God is the high and exalted one. You take all the wealth that this world has to offer, you take all the power of every nation that's ever been, and you stack that up on a balance. And you put God on the other balance, on the other side of the balance, and God wins hands down. This is what the high and exalted one says, who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place. I do. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one. It just begins with one person. But also with the one uh, who is contrite and lowly in spirit. See, he doesn't dwell with the high and mighty. He dwells with the lowly and the contrite. I live at the high and ho- in a high and holy place, but also the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. To revive. To revive. The spirit of the lowly, the heart of the contrite. See, revival for a nation, revival for a community, for a church begins with the revival of the one. The one who is lowly and the one who is contrite. Revival begins not in the church across town. It begins in the seat that you're sitting in right now in this moment. It begins when each of us choose to be lowly instead of being proud. Choosing to be contrite, broken hearted over our sin. Instead of indignant about other people's sin. Let's pray right now. God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. You created the heavens and the earth and all that they contain. God, every part of this huge expanse that we call the universe lies in your hand. You made it all. And God, you rule over all of your creation. You are a great and mighty God. You brought Israel out of, out of Egypt with mighty, mighty signs and wonders. With your mighty hand, your afflicted heart. And God, you are the one who can save, the only one who can save. And Lord, right now, what we want to do is help. We ask you to help us to be humble before you. Help us to be humble before you, but also humble with one another. And Lord, help us to be contrite over our sin instead of indignant about somebody else's sin. Lord, we pray for spiritual renewal in our hearts. 
We pray for revival in our church, in the churches of our community, the churches of our nation. God, we pray for revival. And we pray for the expansion of your gospel uh, into every part of our world. God, this is something only you can do. And so we humbly ask you to do this. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, guys, again, so glad you're here today. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to take just a moment uh, to greet someone around you and uh, just tell them thank you for being with us today. Can you do that, please? Let's worship together once more, church.
Let's look to him. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. Once again, church, God, I look to you. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. I will love you, Lord, my strength. I will love you, Lord, my shield. Yes, I will love you, Lord, my rock. Forever, all my days, I will love you, I look to you. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision. Give me vision. To see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. I will love you, Lord, my strength. I will love you, Lord, my shield. Yes, I will love you, Lord, my rock. Forever, all my days, I will love you, God. One more time, I will. I will love you, Lord, my strength. I will love you, Lord, my shield. Oh, I will love you, Lord, my rock. Forever, all my days, I will love you, sing hallelujah hallelujah our God reigns hallelujah our God reigns hallelujah our God reigns forever all my days hallelujah once again church sing hallelujah Hallelujah, our God reigns. Hallelujah. 
church. Lord, we look to you at all times. You are the source of wisdom. You are truly where our our real help comes from, where our joy comes from, where our contentment comes from. Lord, help us to resist the temptation to look to anyone or anything else for help and for joy and for peace and for contentment. Because only you can provide that. We look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, good morning again. I am really, really glad you're with us. Uh, If you are joining us from Facebook or YouTube, uh, just want you to know that uh, after the service this morning, we're going to be having donuts. Uh, don't know what you're going to have, but we're going to have donuts. So come next week, and you can have a donut too. <laughs> so uh, real quick, earlier this week, I got a uh, I got a, a call uh, from, or actually a text from Austin Largusa, and a few of us know Austin. Uh, Austin is Andrew Valet's uh, nephew. I uh, actually lived with Andrew and Tessa for a short time, and also uh, he is the pastor of Experience Church over in Cordelia. And so he had just texted me and just said, hey, Gary, we're really, uh, we're, we're praying about the purchase of the property we're currently meeting in. And he just asked me if I would pray for them. And I said, absolutely. You know, I told him uh, that I was going to pray for him. I have been praying. And uh, we would love to have our own property just like them. And for whatever reason, that hasn't happened yet. Uh, I do think sometimes God does things in unique and different ways in different churches, and I think we need to be okay with that. Uh, I have a buddy of mine up in Eureka. They weren't even praying for a building, and someone gave them a building out of the blue. And uh, and I'm like, are you kidding me? I have been praying for years for a building, and you get one just out of the blue. And it's like you almost felt bad about it. I'm like, don't feel bad about it. I'm I'm really glad for you. But I, I think, you know, I just think that that would be something that would be honoring of God is if we prayed for them and prayed that God would give them a building. And by the way, we can pray that God would give us a building too. That's all right. It's okay to do that. Uh, There's nothing that's too difficult for the Lord. So I know we've already prayed. Matt just prayed a moment ago. I prayed earlier. And, And so, but let me pray for us again, okay? God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. You are always faithful. Uh, You are good and faithful in the good. You are good and faithful in the hard. And, uh, Lord, we know that you are redeeming all of your creation, and one day you are returning again. 
uh, to make all things right. And that's what we long for, God. That's what we look forward to. Uh, right now, <clears throat> I do want to pray for experienced church. God, I pray for the expansion of the gospel in our community through them. I pray that lives will be changed forever through them. And, Lord, I pray the same for us. I pray that the gospel will, for the expansion of the gospel in our community through the ministry of this church and that that lives will be changed here and through us as well. And, Lord, I do pray that you would make it possible for them to own their own church home, and I pray the same for us. Uh, And I pray this for the honor, the glory of your name. Right now, God, I pray uh, for myself. I ask you to fill me with your spirit. Help me to really proclaim your word with clarity. Uh, and I pray that you, would, uh, and that you would give us, God, give us ears to hear. Ears to hear. Give us hearts to understand. And um, help us to humbly receive the word implanted that's able to save our souls. So I pray this in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen. All right. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been disappointed with God? Have you ever had that experience? And I think sometimes people act like, well, you know, it's, it's not good to be disappointed with God. And if you read your Bible, and I'm assuming most of us do, if you read your Bible, you'll see it. You'll see it a lot. In fact, you'll see it a lot in the book of Psalms. It's called, uh, there are these, there are the imprecatory Psalms that we, we don't know what to do with. You know, God, you know, crush my enemies, Okay. But you also read uh, in the words of the psalmist quite often, disappointment with God. It's called a lament. It's, a, it's called lamenting. It's an important part of prayer. Did you know that? It's actually an important part of prayer because that's what psalms teaches us to do. It teaches us how the people of God are supposed to pray. And there's a place and a time for the lament. There's also the place and the time for thanksgiving and celebration as well. And if we only pray in one way, I want to encourage you to read through the Psalms and learn how to pray more fully, more completely. Because that's what the Psalms are supposed to do. They're supposed to teach us how to worship and teach us how to pray. But we don't just see laments in the Psalms. We see it, there's actually, did you know there's a book of the Bible called Lamentations? You know what it's called, Lamentations? It's a lament. It's Jeremiah lamenting uh, the destruction of Jerusalem and Judah. Uh, by the Babylonians, and uh, a whole book of the Bible on it. But we see it many other places in the Scriptures as well. We see it uh, in the book of Job. Uh, A lot of the book of Job and a lot of the prayer of Job is just that, lamenting. And when we come to the Scriptures, we need to come with a sense of there's not only one genre of the Scriptures, and there's not, and, and sometimes what happens is we kind of get this way of thinking about spirituality over here. And we miss everything over here. And what we need is we need a richness and a fullness of how we read and understand the Scriptures. I've been meeting with a young man. I met with him again this last Thursday. Uh, his name is James. We normally meet on Mondays. And we've been reading through a book. Actually, it's a book that Matt just bought. And it's a book I'd like to encourage you to get. Uh, but it only helps you if you actually read it. Uh, but it's called How to Read the Bible for All That It's Worth. And each chapter explores a different genre of uh, literature that we find in the Bible. When God speaks to us, he speaks to us with a richness of many different kinds of literature. Sometimes he speaks to us through poetry. Sometimes he speaks to us through didactic literature. Uh, that many of us are more comfortable with, and sometimes not so comfortable with the others. Sometimes God speaks to us through prophecy and apocalyptic 
And what happens and where we get into trouble is when we bring an allegorical approach to understanding Scripture to something that's not allegory. Or we try to bring a very rigid, um, um, uh, didactic approach to understanding Scripture to something that's poetry. And we have to learn how to read the Scriptures in all of its richness. And I, I'm, I'm only bringing this to your, uh, uh, to your attention today because we're going to see a place in the life of Moses where he is lamenting to God. Lamenting to God. So, real quick, just kind of bring you up to speed. Um, most people who follow God, most people who are in tune with their emotions. Sometimes people are completely out of tune with their emotions. You ever been around a person who's really angry and they say, I don't get angry? (laughs) Maybe you're the person, I don't know. Uh, Anyway, but sometimes people are really out out of, they don't even understand what's happening inside of them emotionally. By the way, you cannot be spiritually mature and emotionally unhealthy. Okay, Those two things really go together. And so we have to be, uh, you know, Augustine once prayed, God, help me to know myself that I might know you. And we need to understand our emotions and how we come to God. And we need to pay attention to our emotions. Not dominated by our emotions, but paying attention to our emotions. And we need to come to God with all of what we are and all of who we are. Okay? So... Uh, oftentimes men and women of great faith have sometimes gone through times of great doubt and great testing. Going through a time of great doubt and great testing does not mean you do not have faith. All right? A season where you're going through great doubt and great testing does not mean you don't have faith. Moses was a man of great faith who went through seasons of doubt and testing. We see it throughout the scriptures. Men and women of great faith have sometimes gone through times of great doubt, great testing. It's great testing, oftentimes, that results in great doubt. Great testing, I believe, as you read through the scriptures, you'll see that great testing is the crucible. You know what a crucible is? It's a little container where you put metal that may not be purified, and you heat it until it melts. And then you skim away everything that's impure. So you heat gold and you skim away everything that's not gold from it. And this is what God does in our lives. Is sometimes he puts us in the crucible. Now a lot of times what we want to do is we want to pray away the crucible. We want to pray away the trial. We want to pray away the test. We want to pray away the tribulation. And yet God's like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And someone will say, well, tell that mountain to get up and leave and go over here. Well, sometimes what we call a mountain that we want to move by our great faith is the very thing that God is using to purify our faith. Do you understand what I'm saying here? We need to understand Scripture not in isolation, but in its totality, in its wholeness. And we need to understand Scripture with Scripture. If we look at only one framework... We don't see the whole picture. And so we need to understand that great testing is the crucible that purifies faith, and, but only, only when we have the right attitude in it. It's in the purifying. Uh, great testing is, is the crucible that purifies faith, and it's in the purifying of our faith that our faith can grow into a rich and great faith. 
Sometimes it's in after our greatest disappointments and failures and suffering that God does his greatest work in us. So what I'm going to ask you to do, if you have your Bible, uh, I'm going to ask you to open it up to, uh, actually we're going to start in Exodus chapter 5, verse 22. Uh, and we're going to read through into, uh, in, into Exodus chapter 6, verse 13. Um, yeah, that's what we're going to do. All right? Uh, but first, let's talk a little bit about context. Uh, preaching through Exodus is kind of hard, to be real honest with you. Okay, that's the reason a lot of pastors don't do it. It's the reason I haven't done it. I waited 28 years to finally preach through Exodus uh, because I've always felt inadequate to do it. And the best way to preach through Exodus is to go on a two- or three-day conference and spend maybe 10 to 15 sessions just looking at the first 14 and a half chapters. That's probably the best way to do it. But we have to spread things out over weeks. So I have to kind of go back, do a little bit of review. So understand that in Exodus, actually when you finish the book of Genesis, because that's where Exodus begins, that the family of Israel, the family of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, goes down into Egypt. Joseph was already there ahead of them. And they go down as a family of about 70 people. Then there comes a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph and the things that he did. And that Pharaoh and the ones that came after him hated the Israelites. And they subjugated them to 400 years of slavery. 400 years of never a day off. You didn't have Sunday afternoon to watch golf or a football game or the Tour de France. You didn't have a day off to go shopping. You didn't have a day off. John, you didn't have a day off to go sailing in Egypt if you were a Jewish, okay, Israelite. You didn't have a day off to go for a bike ride through Solano and Napa County. You didn't have, there was never a day off. There was never a Christmas. There was never an Easter. There was never a Thanksgiving There was never a Mother's Day. There was never a Father's Day. There was only pain and toil. If you were a Hebrew, if you were a Hebrew, life was hard and then you died. That's all. There was nothing else. Life was hard and then you died. And for your children, life was hard and then you died. And your grandchildren, life was hard, and then you died. It was the only thing you had known for 400 years. And then we read in chapter 2 about the birth of Moses. His first 40 years, he was basically a prince of Egypt. He tries to take matters into his own hands. He sees an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew. He kills the Egyptian, buries him in some sand, is discovered by Pharaoh, and has to flee for his life to a place called Midian which would be the northwestern part of the Saudi Peninsula, of Saudi Arabia, that area. And uh, the next 40 years, he spent herding sheep and goats. 40 years, nothing but herding sheep and goats. In chapters 3 and 4, we read about how, <coughs> excuse me, we read about how God comes to, to Moses, and, and, and what God so he says to Moses, he says this. He says, you know what? I have seen the suffering of my people. I have heard their cry for help, and I am concerned for them. So I want you 
to go to Pharaoh to tell him, let my people go. The first uh, response of Moses isn't great. Uh, The first response of Moses is simply this. Who am I? Who am I that I should go? And God says, I will be with you. The second response of Moses is not an improvement. Well, what if they ask me your name? What shall I tell them? And God tells them, he says to him, I am who I am. Tell them, I am the Lord, Yahweh, I am. And then he says, well, what if they don't believe me? And he says, well, what's that in your hand? Moses says, oh, it's, uh, you know, it's a staff, all right? Uh, you know, it's kind of long and hard and, dip, you know, you can use it for herding sheep, herding goats. God says, throw it on the ground. And it became a serpent. And then God says, pick it up. And Moses is like, Are, really? He picks it up and it's a staff again. And in several other things. And then, and then Moses says to God, 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 <laughs> I am a man of fathering lips. Okay, I have a little stutter. And God says, wait a second. Who, who makes the mouth that gave you a mouth to speak with? I will be with you. And finally, Moses says, Lord, send whoever you want. Just don't send me. And this is the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. You really don't want to be there. It's kind of like, I don't know. You know, maybe when you were a kid, you ever remember your mom getting, like, really super mad at you? Or your dad? <laughs> that was scary. Uh, but it's kind of like, uh, and, and finally, uh, Moses yields. He and Aaron, they go. They speak to the people. The people are super excited. They're just elated that God is concerned about them. <coughs> Excuse me. The Scripture says that they worship God. And in chapter, um, uh, in chapter five, what happens is they go to Pharaoh, and they say, "God has said, let my people go, that they may go and that they may worship me, and that they may make sacrifices to me." And, and Pharaoh's response is, "Who is the Lord that I should let these people go? You are distracting them from their work." These people are lazy. That's why they want to go out and worship. And in Pharaoh, what he does is instead of yielding, he makes things a lot harder. By the way, sometimes things get harder before they get better. Okay? In real life, just understand that. Sometimes things get harder, a lot harder, before they get better. And that's what happened. What he said is he told the, 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 the slave masters and he told the, the, the supervisors of the work, you're no longer to give them straw for making bricks. They tell them that they've got to go. They've got to gather their own straw. And what they've got to do is they've got to make bricks, and they've got to make the same number. Basically, they doubled the work. Doubled the work for them. And so uh, the Israelites were just, um, uh, with this, they were discouraged. They were angry. Uh, they were they they went to Moses. Moses and Aaron went, were waiting for them, and they say to to, to Moses and Aaron, "May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials, and had to put a sword in their hand to kill us." And this brings us to our text today. And what does what does Moses do? 
when he faces disappointment. <coughs> what does Moses do? And in verse 22, in Exodus chapter 5, the Bible says this, Moses returned to the Lord. What do you do when you're discouraged? Moses returned to the Lord. He said, why, Lord? This is the beginning of a lament. Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. He is coming to God, returning to God. And he's bringing to God uh, this concern. And what the Bible says here in in Exodus chapter 6, and this is pretty awesome. I mean, we know how awesome it is. Moses didn't know in the moment. But we know it's awesome. We know that, 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 that what's going to happen here is, is pretty cool. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, now, that word now is a big word. It, it, it marks the point when things begin to change. Now, now, you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. And then God speaks to Moses and he says this. He says, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Uh, The Hebrew word for Lord is Yahweh. Okay, Yahweh. He says, I am the Lord. Uh, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord... I did not make myself fully known to them. Now, I would underline those words, fully known. Because those two words are very important. What he says this, is he says, I am the Lord, I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, as God Almighty, but my mighty name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known. Now, the reason that this is important, the Hebrew word is yadah. Yadah. Fully known. But the word Yadah can be translated in a number of different ways. Ways. So if you read the New American Standard Bible, which is what I grew up with as a kid when I recommitted my life to Jesus, if you have an ESV study Bible, it won't say fully known. It'll say the word known. See, that word Yadah doesn't have one meaning. The context determines the meaning. It can mean a very, very, it can mean to know, like in a very, very casual kind of way. You know, like, I don't know. I know the mayor, okay? He's my neighbor. lives down the street from me. But I don't know the mayor the same way I know my son or my daughter. Or someone like Matt, who is a close friend. Matt and I have worked together for 28 years. See, the way I know Matt is very different from the way I may know the mayor. And, and, and I believe that what we're talking about here is that God is saying... What God is saying to, 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 uh, to Moses, he says, I am Lord, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, as God Almighty, but my my name the Lord. I did not make myself fully known to them. Now, now the thing is, is that some people have understood this to mean that in, like, before the time of Moses, no one knew God as Yahweh. This simply isn't true. If you go back and read the book of Genesis, you'll see the use of Yahweh 162 times. 162 times. That's not a couple of times. If you go back and read the book of, uh, of Genesis 34 times, you will see it on the lips 
of, the, of a person speaking in G- Genesis, including Abraham. In fact, when God introduces himself to Abraham in chapter 15, what does God say? I am the Lord, Yahweh. I am the Lord, Yahweh, who brought you up out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And later in chapter 28, you're going to see God, God speaks to Jacob in, in Excuse me. God says this to Jacob. He says, he says, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and Isaac. You see, God has introduced himself as Yahweh. And they know God Almighty as the Lord, but they do not fully know. So what is it? Because I believe this is important to understanding and applying this text. What is it that God, how is it that Moses is going to know the Lord more fully? And how is it that his generation is going to know the Lord more, full, uh, more fully? And how is it that later generations are going to know the Lord Yahweh more fully? This is an important, very, very important um, understanding here, I believe. I am the Lord God. I am uh, Lord. I appeared, by the, by the way. When we read this text, actually between chapter, or verse 2 here and verse 8, three different times, three different times, God is going to say to Moses, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. You will know that I am the Lord who has brought you out of Egypt. Three different times God says, I am the Lord. And a fourth time he's going to say, I, I, uh, uh, you will know that I am the Lord. And in, in, in this, I think the key to understanding, to knowing the Lord more fully, uh, is, is revealed in this. He says, um, uh, verse 2, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them. So they know the Lord how? As the one who establishes covenant with them. They know the Lord as a covenant-making God. For 400 years, for 400 years, they knew, their descendants knew God as a covenant-making God. But after 400 years of suffering, after 400 years of this covenant, I am going to bring you out of the land of Egypt with many great mighty works and I am going to give you the land that you have sojourned in the land of Palestine the land of Canaan they knew the promises but when you go 400 years without seeing a promise fulfilled a promise an unfulfilled promise begins to feel like an empty promise Do you understand what I'm saying here? Every Hebrew who ever read this understood this very clearly. Sometimes we blow right through reading this stuff, and we don't even think about what we're reading. They knew all about a covenant-making God. But the covenants, the promises, were unfulfilled. And sometimes an unfulfilled promise feels like an empty promise. Kind of like... Honey, I'll mow the yard. When? Later. 
you know, an unfulfilled promise can feel like an empty promise. I established my verse four. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. And here, here, beginning of verse six, God says to to Moses, He says, "Say to the Israelites, I am the Lord." You see that? You see that? Now keep the slides right where they're at, Joe. Because you have a Bible in front of you, or you have it on your phone. I'm going to assume that. Go to the end of verse 8. What does the end of verse 8 say? I am the Lord. He begins his statement with, I am the Lord. He ends his statement with, I am the Lord. The God is about to say something very important about himself as the Lord. That he bookends everything he's going to say with, I am the Lord. And what God is going to say is he's going to say, I will. 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 He's going to say, I will, I will, I will. Seven times God says, I will. Now, if you were a Hebrew then... And you read and see where God says seven different times, I will. You are listening with rapt attention. When God says seven different times, I will, he is being very emphatic. Seven was considered a number of completion or perfection. It was a number of special significance for the ancient Hebrew. This is not incidental. This is not accidental. This is intentional. It is deliberate. And what God promises is this. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with the mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord who brought you out from under Uh, the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Now, years ago, I had the privilege of studying under a guy named Walt Kaiser. Walt Kaiser is one of the greatest Old Testament scholars uh, of the last part of the 20th century and the early part of the 21st century. Uh, Walt Kaiser used to be, he was the... um, uh, academic dean for Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, which is a very, very good school, almost as good as Dallas Seminary. And then he was the president of Gordon-Conwell Seminary for many years, almost as good as Dallas Seminary, okay? Educated people like, I don't know, Tim Keller. Uh, but uh, but, but in, in, we used to call him Mr. Old Testament, Mr. Old Testament. And I got to take a course under him at the uh, at the Institute of Biblical Studies a long time ago, about 40 years ago. It was great. It was awesome. He is a neat guy. He is funny, really funny. Uh, the guy knows the Old Testament scriptures. Every once in a while, someone will tell me, you know, preach Jesus in the Old Testament. I'm like, well, okay, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll ask Walt Kaiser to come, and we'll get him to do that because he's going to do a better job of it than me, all right? Except now he's like 90 years old. And uh, so, but, but I would... Uh, Walt Kaiser on this text, it's real interesting. 
is is because I didn't really see it when I first read through it. But when I after I read his commentary, I'm like, oh yeah, 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 I, I totally get that. Is the first three I wills are promises of redemption, the promises of salvation. That that what, what what does he say I'll do? I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. It is this is three promises of redemption, and it's followed by two promises of adoption. Two promises of adoption. He he says he says this. He says uh, I will take you to be as my own people, and I will be your God. This is adoption. He's adopting the people of Israel like his son. And then he gives them two promises of the land. He says, I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. And he finishes with, I am the Lord. And what God is doing here is what he is saying is this. Your fathers knew me. As a covenant-making God, you are going to know me as a covenant-keeping God. You are about to see all the promises that you have been waiting 400 years for come to completion. This is the beginning of awesome in the book of Exodus. This is the beginning. This prepares us for the mighty works of God that we see in chapter 7 through, I don't know, 13? where God does these awesome signs and wonders to bring Israel out of Egypt. Verse 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Sometimes people stop listening to God when they have stubborn, rebellious hearts. But sometimes people have a hard time listening to God when they have discouraged hearts. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Uh, the word here for discouragement is actually two words in Hebrew. It means to be without spirit or without breath. Uh, Walt Kaiser says it's like a little child sobbing without breath. A little child sobbing, gasping for breath. You ever seen a little child sobbing, having a hard time breathing? The words being used here is like that. This is the nation of Israel sobbing without breath, without spirit. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses, Moses, in some respects, much like Israel, but Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? Verse 13, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites 
and Pharaoh king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Four things I want you to see in the text beyond what we've already discussed. Uh, Four things that I want you to see that I think are important for us in our lives today. Number one, men and women of great faith have sometimes gone through times of great doubt and great testing. Obviously, the, the nation of Israel had gone through times of great doubt, great testing. But Moses also has gone through a time of great doubt and great testing. Now, why do I want you to understand this and see this? Because sometimes in your life, and if you aren't experiencing it right now, and if you haven't experienced it, you will experience this. There are going to be times in your life when you're going to struggle with doubt, and you're going to struggle with testing. You know, it's easy to trust in God when life is easy. It is hard to trust in God when it's hard. That doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a bad person. I, I, I like the way, um, doggone, I can't think of his name now. Dallas Willard says it. He says this. He says, it's okay to doubt your faith. Just be sure to doubt your doubts. See, sometimes what happens is people doubt their faith. And then they begin to (coughs) embrace their doubts as being absolute and irrefutable. And they lose their faith. The wise thing is, is, is it's okay to doubt your faith, but the wise person also doubts his doubt. Be careful of doubting in the dark what God has shown you in the light. So men and women of great faith have sometimes gone through times of great doubt and great testing. Don't be surprised if you do too. Number two, it is in the crucible of great suffering that God purifies great faith. Okay? It's, It's great testing that often results in great faith. Great testing is the fire that purifies faith. And it is the purifying of our faith that our faith can grow into great faith. See, it's the fire of testing that makes our faith a great faith. It's going through the time of doubt where God begins to skim away the dross, everything that's not good. The the Bible says, consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. Now, when I encounter various trials, I don't usually consider it all good. I think I might be more apt to say, that sucks. Okay? Okay? Consider all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, it's the crucible of great suffering that purifies great faith. We see this also in First Peter. Um, understand, you know, Peter was writing to Christians in what would be today modern-day Turkey. They were going through terrible suffering, terrible suffering. Persecution as Christians. This always drives me crazy when I see kind of the health, wealth, uh, prosperity gospel movement saying, oh, God wants you to be successful and rich and all that kind of stuff. And let me tell you, the early church didn't look like that. The early church were a beat up and battered people. They were. In fact, I can't remember the guy's name. There was this uh, Greek philosopher, but he despised Christianity because it was made up of so many poor people. He said, if 
if, if this is the best their God can do, their God's not much. And he despised Christianity because of all the poor people who made up the Christian faith. When Peter was writing to these Christians who were struggling with poverty and struggling with persecution, he says this, in all this, in all what? In all your suffering, in all this, in all this, you greatly rejoice. You greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, while you may uh, have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come, these trials have come, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, a greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, it is suffering that purifies faith. Men and women of great faith have sometimes gone through times of great doubt and great testing. And it's the crucible of great suffering that God purifies our faith. Third thing I want you to see is this. Is there's a difference between complaining against God and lamenting to God. Now the reason some people are uncomfortable with the idea of lamenting is because they think, well, isn't it a sin to complain against God? And yet everywhere... In the scriptures, we see examples of people complaining to God. There's a difference between complaining against God and bringing a complaint to God. And that's what it means to lament. See, when you lament, you bring your complaint to God. But then what do you do? Is you trust and you obey. Now, because we're stopping where we're at, we don't see the trust and obedience, but it's coming. We see it in in verse uh, 6 of chapter 7. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. You see, ultimately, they come, yes, they bring the complaint to God. But ultimately, there is trust. That's the difference between complaining against God and lamenting to God. Later, we're going to see the nation of Israel complaining against God. And there's a contrast between Moses and the people of Israel that you should be seeing as you read through uh, Exodus and then later in Numbers. Is that Moses brings his lament to God and speaks to God as to a friend. That's what the scriptures say. And that God speaks to him as to a friend. The nation of Israel, on the other hand, doesn't bring, they don't lament to God, they complain against God. So there is a difference. There is a difference between complaining against God and lamenting to God. Lamenting is an important part of worship and prayer. If there's no lament ever in our prayers, then our prayers are somehow, uh, they're not really complete. As you read through the Psalms, it teaches us to praise and worship and to give thanks, but also teaches us to lament. And if we're doing one part without the other, and our prayer and our worship is incomplete. Lamenting is an important part of worship and prayer. Lamenting is addressed to God, but always ends with trust and obedience. Fourth, sometimes it's in or immediately after our greatest disappointments and failures and suffering that God does his greatest work. I think sometimes we we look at something that feels like failure in our life. When the people of Israel are no longer listening to Moses, that for him feels like failure. He says to Moses, or excuse me, Moses says to God, if Israel will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? See, he's internalizing what feels like, and for him in this moment, feels like failure. 
Sometimes in life, we can experience things that can feel like failure. Sometimes in life, we experience suffering. Sometimes in life, we experience disappointment. But sometimes it's in or after that suffering, that disappointment, um, that God does his greatest work. And we're about to see it. We're about to see it beginning in chapter 7. And we're going to see it, and it is awesome what God is going to do. God wants us to have a healthier attitude about disappointment, especially when we feel disappointed with him. He wants us to acknowledge it, not shame it away. And he wants us to learn how to wrestle with him in prayer. Really, that's what we're seeing in Moses. We're still choosing to trust in him. Let's pray. God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. Uh, you are <clears throat> you're good in the good times, but you're also good in the hard times. Uh, and, Lord, what we want to do is we want to learn how to bring our laments to you instead of complaining against you. We want to learn how to have a healthier, more well-rounded prayer life. Not a prayer life of complaining, but of lamenting while also giving thanks and worshiping. And we pray, uh, we pray this in Christ's name for your glory. Amen. Thank you, Gary. <clears throat> I don't know about you. I love the Old Testament. I'm an Old Testament nerd. Um, so many truths um, of God just revealing who he is and his plan. And then, of course, we get to the New Testament, and it's all about Jesus. Um, so, well, good morning, church. Um, so good to see everybody in the house of God today. Um, beautiful day, right? Um, we're finally getting some of this beautiful California weather. I'm so grateful. Um, as we often say, uh, connection is important at Solano Valley. And through connection, we experience belonging. We experience acceptance and we experience love. We were made for connection, so I want to share with you a few ways um, that you can connect here at SVC. A lot of those ways can be found on your app, of course. Um, There's small groups, and um, there's ways to serve, all great ways to connect, so I want to encourage you to check that out. Another way to connect, uh, a little more on a one-on-one basis, is uh, coffee with a pastor. So Wednesdays at 4 p.m. at Journey Coffee on Chadbourne Road, um, our pastors are there, and they're there to connect with you. For those of you who are curious to know what Coffee with the Pastor is about and who it's for, it's really for anybody, anybody who wants to meet with one of our pastors for any reason. If you have a question, if you have a ministry idea, if you just want to come over and chat, um, they're there and they're available. It's 4 p.m. on Wednesdays. If that's not a good time for you, um, connect with them and they'd be happy to arrange a time that works for the both of you. Next is baptism. So baptism celebration. If you have decided to follow Christ but haven't been baptized yet, we want to encourage you to celebrate your new life with Jesus through baptism and by obeying Jesus' command to be baptized. Did you know that baptism isn't an option? It's actually a commandment. Um, Jesus told us to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism 
is that immediate next step that you take after saying yes to Jesus. Just like the eunuch did in the book of Acts when he said yes to Jesus, he saw water and he said, baptize me. There's water. Why don't I get baptized right now? Um, Baptism doesn't save you, but it does show the world that you have been saved. So if, if, that, if that just hasn't happened in your life yet and you're ready to take that next step, we encourage you to go ahead and sign up. The day of our next baptism is May 29th, and we actually have a, a sign-up sheet in, in by the front door. So sign up today if you haven't been baptized, or if you have more questions about it, seek us out. Seek out the, the leaders, and we'll connect with you and talk about that because we want to see you take that next step if you haven't already. Another way to connect, um, and sounds like it's going to be a great day on May 29th, is picnic in the park. So it's been a while since we've done this, um, but again, the weather's right, so we want to invite you to join us at Wood Creek Park for picnic in the park. It's going to be a, just a fun time to to relax, connect, you know, have the kids play. Um, so feel free to bring something from your home or pick up some food. Um, bring a blanket, bring chairs, bring a football. Um, this is a time just to hang out, connect over a meal, and enjoy this awesome weather together. So finally, we're going to continue our worship through giving. And um, Proverbs 3.9 says that honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce with the best part. We want to give God our best. And as you know, to honor someone means to show great respect and high esteem towards them. And honoring God helps us to lift our eyes off of ourselves, set them on him, and give him center stage in our lives. So there are five different ways that you can give. You can visit our website at www.salnavalley.org forward slash giving. You can uh, tap the Give button on the SVC app. You can send a check to 1307, thank you, I, you're all helping me, Oliver Road, Fairfield, California, 94534. Um, you can text the word Give to 707-883-3019. And finally, if you're here in person, there is the mail slot in the back that you can just slip your offering into. Let me just say, Thank you for being a generous church. Thank you. And thank you um, because of your generosity. We're helping to build God's kingdom right here in Solano Valley. Solano County, Solano Valley. Yes, we're here. We're building God's kingdom. Thank you. Let's stand together one more time, church. Speaking of building God's kingdom right here. Let's just say to him one more time, God, we want to be on your team. We want to be a part of this adventure of building your kingdom. All right, let's sing, church. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. 
Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. We need your power in us. And we seek. We seek your kingdom first. We hunger and we thirst. Refuse to waste our lives for your our joy and pride. To see the captive hearts release the hurt, the sick, the poor at peace. We lay down our lives for heaven's cause. We are your church. We pray revive this earth. Build your kingdom, Lord. Build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. Show your mighty hand. Seal our streets and land. Set your church on fire. Win this nation back. Change the atmosphere. Build your kingdom here. We pray. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. We will see you next time.